Good morning, church. Uh, hey, can we, um, can we give God a hand, but also just tell this praise team, thank you for leading us this morning. That was fantastic. Thank you. They've done phenomenal all weekend and, and point us to the throne and, and keeping Jesus at the center of all we do. And so, hey, real quick, just so you know who's talking to you this morning, Nathan uh, told you a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Matt Mabry. My wife, Rachel, and I, we live in Stephenville. I'm a university pastor at First Baptist Church there in Stephenville. Um, we've got two kids. Lincoln is our oldest. He's four. Uh, Lucy is currently our youngest, and she's two, two and a half. And then we've got another daughter that'll be here in April. April 8th is her due date. So we're about a month out from adding a third one to our crew. Uh, and so um, at, at every church member, I think, at some point, as they found out that we were expecting a third one, has come up to me and said, with the, the common basketball analogy, well, you know, Matt, you no longer have to play man defense. You've got to go into zone around your house now, right? And so you can come up after me and share that, that good information with me. That has been like the common thread of every, every father or mother in our church has made sure to know that we're going to have to start playing zone defense for you basketball fans out there. And I said, yeah, I know zone was my preference because I wasn't very fast. I could handle that. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we can see navigating that in our home with some zone defense, but we'll see. Look, y'all, y'all know this, but I just want to remind you and encourage you, uh, you have a phenomenal youth ministry staff in, in Nathan and Ashley and in Hillary, um, and they are, they are fantastic. It has, been, it has been a blessing getting to, to work with them since he asked me to come do this and, and meet with them and talk with them about their vision for your youth and the vision for this weekend and just seeing them serve your youth. Um, they are phenomenal servants. Uh, to, to the Lord, but also to your students and to your church. They talk highly about your youth, about, about your church body. Um, and so uh, just if you haven't in a while, maybe shoot them an email, shoot them a text, go up and verbally tell them just how appreciative you are of them. Because this weekend, um, from my perspective, was very smooth. I know there's probably hiccups and throw up and things like that that, that came about that they had no control over, just happens part of it. But um, thank you all for a great weekend. And lastly, let's brag on the youth because they're rock stars. You got a great crew, 7th through 12th both graders, and um, it's not everywhere that I go that, uh, as I was telling this morning, they're, they're responsive, they pay attention, they take notes. If they fall asleep, they do it with their eyes open for the most part, and so they are a phenomenal group of youth, and uh, so parents, if you're here, great job. Don't quit. Continue to point them towards the Lord, uh, but it's been a joy getting to hang out with you 7th through 12th graders this morning. The 7th grade guys keep me on my toes every night that I speak. Um, so hopefully they'll dial it back a little bit this morning. No questions today, all right? Sound good? Because I don't want to get stumped in front of all these people, all right? And lastly, Pastor Lee, thanks for the opportunity to speak this morning. I appreciate it. So looking forward to it. Um, we are going to be in the book of Daniel. So in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, very, a very popular story. If you've been in the church probably for any length of time, you've heard of Daniel and the Lion's Den. And we're going to unpack that together this morning a little bit. Um, so if you've heard this story a lot, if you've heard it preached, maybe you've taught it, maybe you've preached it, maybe you've prepared lessons. If you were in VBS at, at one point in your life, you probably led this or you sat under a teaching about Daniel and the Lion's Den. But something I believe about our God is that when we open his word, his word is alive and active. And so anytime we study scripture, whether it's a common story, a verse that we know by heart, a story we know by heart, the Holy Spirit can still work and reveal truth to us. And maybe it's something that he just reminds us of, um, but sometimes the application may be different. Okay, the truth does not change. The truth of God's word remains the same, but the application may be different for you as a parent, a grandparent, an empty nester, um, someone who's employed or, or a coworker. It may be different for you than it is for a seventh or 12th grade student. 
Um, but the truth remains the same. But how you live it out may look a little bit different. And so we're going to unpack Daniel chapter 6 this morning um, because he is a big deal. As we've been talking about living victorious, if you can read that out there. Um, look, that's been our theme this weekend. And so my mind initially went to war and battle, right? Because I think of victory. So we studied Jonathan and his armor bearer the first night because who doesn't like a good war story? And then we talked about building your house upon the rock and not sand. And your house is your life. The rock is Jesus and his word and living it out. Then last night, we, we really just dove in to the New Testament. What does scripture say about being a follower of Jesus, believing in him, committing to him, following him? What does that look like um, for all of us? And this morning, look, Daniel's a great picture of what it looks like to live a life of victory. Because initially, his story does not, does not sound like one that's going to end victoriously. Um, and, and no matter how it would have ended, just kind of spoiler alert, uh, he lives. But no matter how it would have ended, it still would have been a story of victory. Okay, Because as we know, our God, our Savior Jesus that we just sang about, he died. And guess what? It was still victory. And so our God is good. Our God is a God of victory, no matter in life or death, we can have victory through him and the gift of his son, Jesus. And there's a lot of connections about Daniel to our Savior and our Messiah, Jesus. Uh, that's the great thing about the Old Testament is it points to the truth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus even says that. I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I came to fulfill the Old Testament. And so just kind of some connections. Look, Daniel uh, was falsely accused just like, just like Jesus. He was set up kind of like Jesus. Uh, as we're going to read, there was, a, there was a, a, a political ruler, a king, who didn't like the fact that he had to put Daniel. He liked Daniel. He had to put him in a lion's den. Well, Pilate didn't really like the fact that he had to send Jesus to be crucified. He was kind of hesitant, just like the king here in Daniel chapter 6. Both of them, as we'll read, had a giant stone roll over the cave that they were put in. Daniel, the pit of the lions, they dropped a, a big old rock over it, and the king sealed it with his ring. Same thing when Jesus was put in the tomb, Pilate put a massive stone over the tomb and sealed it with his ring so that it would be known that I did this. It shall not be moved unless I make it happen. So there's a lot of connections that happen in Daniel that point to the coming of the Messiah and the way that Jesus lived his life. Now, Daniel didn't die. Jesus did, but then Jesus rolled that tomb away and said, get out of my way, rock. I'm coming out. I live. And so it's just pretty cool, the connections between Daniel and how it points to the coming of Jesus. But he's a big deal. We're going to learn about him. We're going to figure out why do we study a guy that was thrown in a pit of lions for an entire night, left untouched. And we're going to learn a lot about him. Because if this has happened today in 2023, he would be on Jimmy Fallon, right? Like if he'd walked out of this tomb of lions, we'd see him on talk shows. He'd probably have his own HGTV show, Daniel's Dens, where he'd be remodeling a bunch of different houses and things, right? I mean, we, he'd have his own show, probably his own brand of clothing. I don't know, something about lions or, or whatever. Um, and, and so he would, he would be popular. He'd probably be wealthy at this point because we Christians love to celebrate things that God does. And, and he'd be guest speaking at churches. He'd probably run for office, whatever. He'd be a big deal, right? And so we're going to study him today because he is, his story is a big deal and it points to an even bigger God. And as we go through Life, we're faced with decisions and moments that require quick, and yet you want to be consistent in your decision-making. And Daniel shows us how to do that because he was a consistent man of God from the first time we read about him in Daniel 1 all the way through the end of the book of Daniel. His character stayed true. Who he was in his relationship to the Lord remained steadfast. And we're going to study that this morning because as disciples of Jesus, we're faced with decisions on the daily, and we have to determine what we're going to do. And as followers of Christ, we know, usually, as we're faced with stuff, what we're supposed to do. We've got to determine sometimes before we're even faced with decisions, what would I do in that moment? And Daniel gives us a great example 
of already having our mind made up when life happens, when things change in our life that we have no control over, how do you and I respond and live a life of victory in our relationship with God? And so just real quickly to recap about Daniel. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll give you some, some high points. Daniel uh, was, was taken into captivity, okay, um, by the king, and he was set aside to serve in the king's court. He was a talented man, a smart young man, a good-looking young man, a healthy young man. He was set aside to serve in the king's court. Well, because he was such a hard worker and God had favor on him, he rose up in the ranks. And in Daniel chapter 6, he's specifically placed as an administrator, one of three administrators in the whole kingdom. Okay, there's 120 satraps, according to Daniel 6, and that word is just, there was 120 governors over the provinces of this kingdom, 120 of them. And Daniel was placed as an administrator, one of three administrators over those 120 men that were governors of these provinces of the kingdom. And so he's a big deal. He's probably the king, one of the three king's right-hand men, all right? And so the king's placed him over these, these kingdoms, these governors, these provinces. And then what happens is other administrators find out that the king's thinking about making Daniel the top dog, like the sole administrator over everyone, all right? So like career-wise, Daniel's got it made. I mean, he's moving up the political ladder. He's moving up the ladder in the kingdom, and God's got his hand on him. The other guys hear about this, like, hey, 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 we can't let Daniel get at the top of this ladder right? Kind of still happens today. Like, no, we can't let so-and-so get at the top. That wouldn't be good for us. We don't like him. Um, Let's figure out, let's find some dirt. Let's find some mud to sling on this guy so that maybe, just maybe, he won't become the king's top choice and oversee the entire kingdom. So they start trying to dig up dirt, and they can't find any. And so what do they do? They say, the only thing that we can do to get at Daniel is make up some dumb law about his God to where he's going to have to choose between his God or his king. And maybe, just maybe, that'll put him in a bind. And it does. Sure enough, the king listens to bad advice, bad counsel, poor counsel. That's a whole other topic for another sermon. And he signs in a law that can't be changed. You must worship and bow and pray to me only for 30 days as your king. If you don't, if we catch you doing something else, we'll throw you in a den of lions to be eaten. So it's set up perfectly. Daniel hears that, goes to his window, throws open the window, gets on his knees three times a day and prays towards the city of Jerusalem. And the administrators come and creepily spy on him and find him praying in his room. And they say, oh, king, you signed a law that said no one can pray to you. No one can pray to anyone but you. Your, your buddy Daniel has been praying to his God, his God. Um, you've got to throw him in the den. And the king's like, well, I can't do that. And he fights all day to keep Daniel from going in the den, realizes I can't change my law, kicks him into the pit of lions, says, I hope your God has mercy on your soul, and then closes it up. And Daniel spends the night in a dark hole with a bunch of lions, The den opens up, and the king runs to the den. He's the first one there and says, Daniel, 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 talk to me. And if I were Daniel, I'd probably sit there silent for a little bit, just personally. Just letting the king suffer, you know? And I'd say, and Daniel goes, hey, King Darius, I'm good. My God sent an angel in the middle of the night to shut the the mouths of the lions. I've been untouched. And the king says, Thank your God, pulls him out and signs into decree that now, only now, can we worship and pray to the God of Daniel. And so that's the story of Daniel and the lion's den in a nutshell. And so we're going to unpack that and look at some scripture this morning in Daniel chapter 6 as we, as we run through this pretty quick this morning. So the first point I want you to know about Daniel is that, is that faith influences performance. All right, so if you're taking notes this morning, the first point I want you to see here, to live a life of victory, we've got to allow our faith to influence our performance, or influence our actions, or influence our decisions. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6, verses 3, 4, and 5. 
It writes, Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his contact, uh, conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so, church, what I want you to notice this morning is that they could find nothing wrong with Daniel because up to this point in his life, his faith had determined and influenced everything that he did in his performance at his job and the performance of his life and everything that he did. You can start in chapter one and you can read stories there about Daniel and how his faith influenced some things that he did the moment he went into captivity. His faith influenced his performance. And church, I think if we're going to live lives of victory as belonging to Creator, Father, Lord Jesus, God, that we have got to allow our faith to influence our performance. Sometimes we allow it just to influence our performance when we step foot on this property known as the physical body building of the church. But we've got to allow it to influence our performance in our careers, in our jobs, in our marriages, in the way that you raise your children, in the way that you interact with one another, students, the way that you go to school. Your faith should influence your performance in the classroom. We talked about, like, don't worship your GPA, right? But then I quickly said, but do good in school, okay? Because your faith should influence the way that you do your studies. Your faith should influence the way that you compete in sports or the way that you participate in choir or band or whatever it is you're involved in. Your faith has got to influence the way that you perform as a student. The friends that you choose, the way that you talk about people, the things that you post online has got to influence your performance. Daniel's faith impacted the way he did his job. It impacted the way he served his king, even a pagan, non-believing king. We got any people out there who work for a boss that doesn't love Jesus? Got some people out there, right? Yeah, some of you students may have teachers or coaches that don't love Jesus. Daniel shows us you still serve that individual the way that you would serve Jesus, not working for man, but for the Lord. Because as the story wraps up, again, spoiler alert, uh, he writes a decree that says we're only worshiping Daniel's God. Because the way that you serve, the way that you work, the way that you perform as a student, the way that you act in the classroom, the way that you act at your job can change the hearts and minds of the people you serve and work with. He was trusted and he was respected by his believers, although his peers didn't much care for him. And so hear this, uncompromised faith, right? uncompromised faith in your values allow you and I to live in innocence before God and integrity before other people. Okay, let me say that again. Your uncompromised faith and your values allow you to live in innocence before God. You don't have to worry about being guilty before God because you're uncompromised, man. You've already decided that your faith's gonna influence you and determine what you do, but it also allows you to live correctly in front of other people. Look at verse 22 in chapter six with me. In 21, Daniel tells the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And so Daniel tells him right there, look, God found me innocent, therefore he shut the mouths of the lions. I had lived innocently before God, and king, I'd never done you wrong. I'd never done you wrong. What you did was wrong, but I've never done you wrong. And I like how he starts verse 21, O king, live forever. Pretty sure that would not have been my response to the dude that put me in the hole with a bunch of lions. Right? O king, live forever. Like, why don't you come down here in this lion pit with me, king? We'll see what happens to these mouths here pretty soon. 
But his response, because he's such a man of integrity, such a man who is innocent before God and his faith influences everything he does and says. He says, oh, king, live forever. My God has protected me. I was innocent before God, and I'm innocent before you. Church, we're called to live lives where our faith influences our performance. We're called to be consistent because when we're consistent, we don't have to worry about if we did something wrong or not. But when you've lived correctly and consistently, then you don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about what you did because you've lived faithfully. Look, I'm a big-time Ranger fan. I love the fact that spring training starting because now I'm getting updates on my phone like every 30 minutes during a game about who did what or the pitching performance. And if you're a Ranger fan, you know our pitching has stunk forever. Um, and, uh, and this year we went and spent gobs of money on pitching. I love it. Just spend that money. It's not mine. Let's just, go, let's just be good, okay? And so, but in baseball, look, Look, last year the Rangers were consistently bad, okay? We got any Ranger fans in the house? I mean, you're close enough to Arlington, right? Good. If I see that Ranger hat back there, amen, amen. That's a good man, okay? Uh, look, last year they were consistently bad, but the thing about sports is that, man, you get paid for consistency or the hope of consistency. And God expects us to be consistent in our faith. Our sin And our freedom has been paid for with the life of another, and his name is Jesus, the ultimate payment. God expects and desires consistency in the way that you live, so allow your faith to influence your performance. Next verses, look at uh, verse 4. I know we already read it, but let's read it again. At this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affair, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. So real quick, these men were jealous because they had heard that he might get to rise up in the ranks. Now look at verse 6 and 7. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. Seems to be a common theme there. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. We've all agreed, king, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O King Darius, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And so, real quick, the second thing, the second point this morning, church, is that we see here that there is no victory in envy. All right, we're talking about living a life of victory in Jesus. There is no victory in an envious spirit. Okay, these men are envious, they're jealous because they heard that Daniel might get a promotion that they didn't get, that they're not gonna get. And so they go to the point of envy to where now they're trying to figure out a way to, to, to make him look bad, and then they can't find things, so they go to the king and they say, look, we've all agreed, as all the leaders in your court, king, we've agreed, uh, we should come up with a law where we only pray to you. And what's not true about that is that they did not all agree in verse 7. You should underline that. We have all agreed, because guess who didn't agree with them? Daniel. That's right. Daniel wouldn't agree to that. They didn't go to Daniel, the king's favor. They didn't go and ask him. And so I'm guessing he assumed that Daniel was a part of this. Again, the king didn't seem too wise in this moment. But there is no victory in envy. And discontentment and envy tend to show up together, right? Where you find discontentment, you'll soon find envy or vice versa. Okay? How many times do we hear someone else getting promotion at a job or getting a raise or you find out what somebody's making at work and all of a sudden you start having discontentment and envy, and you start thinking about all these ways why you're better than so-and-so, or students, why someone made the team or you didn't, or someone's starting and you're not, or someone got first chair in band and you didn't. All of a sudden, it's comparing and contrasting yourself to them, why you're better, why they're not as good, and God says, stop it. Stop it. Quit having envy because it leads to discontentment. Why don't you stop and think for a moment about all the things that I have done for you? Because envy leads to discontentment, and there is no victory in that. No victory in that what? 
whatsoever. It causes us to say and do things that go against the things that God desires for you and I. There's no victory in envy. It just starts to become a spiraling black hole. All of a sudden, it was just about that job. Now it's about things at home. Now it's about things in your church. Now it's about leaders in your church. And all of a sudden, you're just envy, envy, discontent, discontent. And God says, wake up, snap out of it. What have I done for you? Let's celebrate the things that God has done and not focus on the things that he hasn't done yet, if it's in his plan. Celebrate the wins of others. Celebrate the things that God's done for you. Don't worry about what God's allowing to happen in other people's circles. Focus on the things that you can do and praise God for the stuff he is doing. Third thing is this, as we wrap up, values determine your decisions, church. The values that you have in your life are going to determine your decisions. Look at verse 10 in Daniel 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. I love this. Just as he had done before. It's, I mean, that's crazy. The decree's been passed, and it says when he learns about it, the very beginning of verse 10, when Daniel learned that it had been passed, that it had been published, the king had signed off on it, I just kind of envisioned Daniel like sitting in the king's court. All right, no one prays anybody but me. He's like, okay. Turns around, hops on his camel, goes home, climbs to the stairs, throws up the windows, and just gets on his knees and prays. Like, come on. You know what I would have done? Probably gone to the king or if I hadn't gone to the king, talked bad about the king and what he had done, gone home, got my wife stirred up about it, got my four-year-old son stirred up about it, like been calling people, can you believe what just happened? Got on Facebook, made this ridiculous rant that no one reads halfway through, hoping for good comments and likes or maybe some conflict. And then maybe, maybe then I would have prayed about it. I, I don't know. And Daniel says, nothing. He leaves, he goes home, he gets on his knees and he prays to God. That's the kind of response we're going to have because when values determine your decisions, that's the kind of decision you make. No matter what's going on around you, you know where you stand and you know that you can fall on your face before God and say, God, this sounds like a horrible thing, but here I am. I like it because, I, again, wouldn't have probably thrown open my windows. I'd have probably gone in my, at this point, I would have done Jesus said, I would have gone to my prayer closet, right, and, and gotten alone. <laughs> and Daniel doesn't change anything that he had been doing up to this point. Because his values are what determine his decision, not his culture, not his king, not his job. Nothing had more influence on him than Yahweh God. And so as we talk about values, there's, there's a couple of categories that values fall into. And, and it's something I love to teach my students because as we grow up, as we mature, things that are important, our values change a little bit, right? Now, now maybe, not, maybe not like your values of, of, of truth of God and who Jesus is, but some things shift, like things aren't as important as they used to be, right? And so I like to clump categories, uh, uh, values into two categories. The first one is absolutes, all right? You have things in your life that are absolutes. That's the first one. The second one is you have things in your life that are just preferences, okay? So let, let's, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. Absolutes, these are the truths that you build your life upon. Your life is built upon absolutes. These are things that you don't budge on. These are things that when scripture says remain steadfast and don't move, these are your absolutes. This is scripture. This is truth. These are character-defining values. This is like, like for example, um, students, as, as you're looking for a spouse, men, as you look for a wife, like she needs to be a godly woman, like she needs to be following Jesus. That is an absolute. Ladies, he needs to be a godly man. That's an absolute, okay? Like these are absolutes. These are things that, that are probably should never change, okay? And this is a very small thing. Your absolutes, if we were to have like a, a, a pie graph here, okay, your absolutes would be a little sliver of the pie. 
All right, but then next you have preferences, and this one's a lot bigger, okay? So these are things like values and choices that you prefer, but maybe they're not going to define your character, right? They're not going to shape you. They're not going to change the trajectory of, of your life and how you follow Jesus. Um, this is like, I, I would choose, I would choose a, a IBC root beer over like a Barks root beer, okay? Or I would prefer a Dr. Pepper over a Coca-Cola. Can we get an amen? There we go. Come on. All right, that's just... A preference, all right? So sticking to the whole marriage thing, uh, ladies, you prefer a tall, dark, handsome guy. That's a preference, okay? That's, <laughs> yes. Preach it, preacher. Yeah, like, but that is just a preference. That's a preference. Thank the Lord my wife budged on that preference. Tall, no. Dark, uh-uh. Handsome, eh. And so, like, by God's grace, Jesus helps guys like me out, okay? Those are preferences. That's not an absolute. An absolute for my wife, Rachel, was that I love the Lord, and I could check that box. She could check that box. Everything else, she probably scribbled out that she had made in her diary at one point. <laughs> because those are preferences. They're not absolutes. And so, church, I want to encourage you, your values determine your decisions. What are your absolutes, the things that you don't budge on? Maybe you need to come up with a list for you and your family. These are absolutes. These are absolutes. We attend as a family to church on Sunday. We read our Bible throughout the week. We make sure we're reading our Bible throughout the week. We, we pray together. And these are things that are going to shape you and your, and your family and your children and the generation and leaving a legacy. And then what are some absolutes? I mean, what are some preferences? What are some things that you could budge on? That's between you and God. You've got to work through some of those things. But the absolutes are things straight out of Scripture. Those, as followers of Jesus, we are called not to budge on. So this morning, we're going to worship out of here. Uh, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a little bit more. But look, church, Daniel knew what he was going to do. Before the, before the law was made, Daniel knew that he was going to go up to his room and pray. So when the law was announced, guess what he did? He went up to his room and prayed. Because he'd already decided, this is what I do. I have a relationship with my God. He determines what I do. My faith influences my performance. And as we see from the bad guys, right, the, the antagonists in this story, there's no victory in envy. Guard your hearts, church. Guard your minds. Be aware. Are you, are you having an envious spirit? And then lastly, your values need to determine the decisions that you make for yourself and for your family. Students, your values need to determine your decisions. What are your values based upon? Talk with mom and dad. Talk with Nathan. Figure out why do you make the things, the decisions that you make? Why do you do what you do? They need to be built upon truth. I love it because Daniel, Daniel, we never really see, like, gets too shaken by what he was supposed to do. He knew that God was in control and had control of the moment in the scenario that he found himself in. He remained faithful. Like, even if Daniel had gone to that pit and things hadn't gone out, turned out the way they did, God is still good and God is still faithful. And Daniel was still faithful. And this is a story of victory because we see how to live as followers of our Lord. Daniel shows us how to live a life of victory. So students, I want to remind you and encourage you as this weekend wraps up, go out and live a life of victory. You're free. You've got victory. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Go and live victoriously. Make your life look appetizing to someone around you so they might, might just say, man, I think I want to follow your God. Because what you do and how you do it matters. Live a life of victory. Father God, we love you. And just thank you, Lord, so much for this church, God, and the way that they love their youth. Um, Lord, thank you for this church and the way that they are uh, reaching this community and, and serving you so faithfully, God. And I ask that, um, that God, as we, as we leave here, that we could be faithful 
Um, God, to, to build our lives upon your truth and allow our relationship with you to influence the things that we do inside and outside the home, inside and outside the church, and the things and the way that we relate to those around us, God. Um, I pray that the way that we live our life would be so appealing to those around us, um, God, that, that people would ask why, that people would be, be drawn to you because of the way that we serve and love and follow you, God. Help us to lay down our, our envy. Help us to lay down our jealousy at your throne and, and trust you with the processes, with the timeline. And God, allow us to be men and women that, that place our values, um, God, that we determine what those absolutes are so we can live in victory. Thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the life change that comes with that and what you call us to. It's in Christ's name I pray.